0: takes a lot to get on my show Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance You like long walks and you wear clean pants Genius, get onto my show Howdy folks, welcome to Living with a Genius, I'm your host Omar Crook The uh, election took place since my last podcast and uh, I think all of you know that I'm pretty liberal, so I've been pretty torn up about it, honestly. I, it kind of feels like uh, uh, 9-11 in a way. I know it sounds hyperbolic, but there, there's—I don't know. I feel like somebody died in the family. And it's not just because I'm liberal. I i, uh, I don't mind Republicans. I just can't stand uh, the way Donald Trump made his ascension to the White House. I don't think that's somebody who uh, promotes— uh, the kinds of rhetoric that he does is somebody that I'm interested in being our uh, president. So, you know, when people ask me what I don't like about Donald Trump, especially some of my uh, more conservative friends, I think I just have to say that his uh, uh, desires or his, the, the way he speaks, his, um, I, uh, you know, we just don't align. That's all it is. I don't, I don't, uh, our interests don't align. That's it. I think that must be it. My interests do not align with Donald Trump's interests. He claims to uh, be a decent person, but I don't see any evidence of that yet. I think you know maybe maybe this whole thing's been a big joke, right? Uh, maybe he's going to show us all that he's actually uh, uh, for decency and for. Progress. Uh, Talk talk about progress too. That's another thing that I'm not really enjoying. Is the media saying uh, progressives and conservatives? You know, the opposite of progressive is regressive, and I see that the people that he plans on uh, appointing to his cabinet have regressive ideas. They want to stop the clock on progress, and um, most of most of them, I think, want to actually roll it back a little bit. And I'm not for that. Does not align with my interest. Not my best interest, that's for sure, but not my moral or, or ethical interest either. So uh, anyway, I think it's enough about Trump. I, th- I think everybody who knows me knows how I feel about it. Uh, I also feel very happy about my guest today. Phelan McDermott is his name. He's uh, an English actor and director who also has his own experimental theater company called Improbable. Uh, Let me bring it up here uh, just to make sure. Yeah, improbable.co.uk is the website. And uh, I had a really interesting chat about uh, all sorts of things with Phelan. His company, uh, Improbable, is one of them. I found that very interesting. His journey uh, from his birth in Manchester and how he uh, came to be directing at LA Opera, which is... um, you know, it's really something. That's a it's a big job, it's a big, it's a big deal. And uh, he's directing our current production of Akhnaten by Philip Glass, which uh, I'm having a great time doing. I, I think I can speak for most of the chorus and certainly the principles that it's uh, it's just a a real treat to do something that's not uh, uh, Italian romantic repertoire. Even though I love. I love that repertoire. It's always nice to do something different, and this this show is is really interesting. We've got juggling. I don't know if you heard my interview with Sean Gandini uh, a couple weeks ago. He's the master juggler that's helped us all figure out how to do what we're doing in the show. And uh, Phelim is um, just a really interesting guy. I we you know he's also a liberal dude. We talk a little bit about religion, a little bit about politics. Um, and the show itself, and I uh, I hope you enjoy it. I'm sorry, I'm, fe- I'm feeling a little, uh, I'm still feeling a little blue, frankly, so, I don't know, maybe I'll record this voiceover, maybe I won't, I'm probably not, I'll probably just use it. Maybe next week I'll be feeling better, and uh, I hope you're all making it out there, remember to uh, be uh, active, now's the time for activism, and uh, maybe, you know, donate to... Uh, ACLU, I think. That's kind of my thing. I think the ACLU is going to need our help the next four years. So why don't you send them a couple bucks? If you like this show, send me a buck because I can keep doing this. Um, You go to my website, hit donate, takes two minutes. I'm thinking about doing a monthly, uh, setting up a monthly donation thing where, you know, a dollar a month or three, three dollars a month or something. I don't know. Send me an email. Tell me what you think about that. I'm having trouble figuring out how to monetize it. You know, if I start advertising, then you guys are going to have to listen to advertising. So I'm not sure which is better. I kind of like the NPR model, the PBS model. Uh, So let me know what you think. Shoot me an email. All right. I hope you enjoy my interview with Phelan McDermott. Thanks for listening. And here he is. So, uh, I did a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. I try not to do too much. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but I take, uh, from what I remember, you were born in Manchester.
1: I was born in Manchester. yeah.
0: And uh, were your parents? Uh, what did your folks do?
1: Uh, well, um, it's interesting because just recently, my little four and a half year old son said, "Daddy, uh, one day, uh, can I be an engineer?" And I was like, "Oh wow!" Yeah, because Jesus, my dad, please. Yeah. <laughs> my dad. My dad was an engineer. You're That's kidding. What, well, he was a com- ultimately he was a computer engineer. So he worked for a company called Ferranti. who was a in at the beginning of the computer story, so in the 70s, when he would come home from work, sometimes he would bring home, you know, computers with cars. yeah, punch cards. punch cards, yeah, sure, and things, and you know, and uh, so he, he worked for that, that company for his whole life, really. And
0: uh, and you're using the past tense, is he? He's no longer he's with no us, no longer with us, yeah, I see. And did your son? had a chance to know him at all not at all so it was really yeah 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 real coincidence and
1: uh, you know he's for some you know he's 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 a bright little kid he's he's at the moment he's he's obsessed with isambard kingdom brunel okay who's amazing kind of you know engineer yeah building bridges and amazing boats and stuff so uh, who knows whether that's genetic or not so my dad was a an engineer and uh um i think me always knowing i was going to be in the theater world it was a little bit of a surprise to my dad, but my mum was an English teacher I see okay, so I was introduced to theater and Shakespeare and very Literature. early mm-hmm. she took me to see plays and things and i, I my love of theater grew then at a very early. so I always knew I was going to be doing theater,
0: and your dad didn't participate in those in that affinity
1: no well he was i wouldn't say he was unsupportive of it I think yeah. he was always slightly bewildered by me it was that kind of uh one of the ways I've kind of interpreted. Are
0: you, is, are you an only child?
1: No, no, I've got two sisters, an older and a younger. So.
0: And what line of work are they in? Uh,
1: well, my my um, my younger sister does IT and stuff. She teaches. Okay. Yeah, my my older sister's in like, PR for. Medical wow. Companies. So you're the black so, sheep. I'm I'm in the middle there as a kind of strange, uh, uh, yeah, that artistic thing. Hmm. But I it's not it was not a surprise I don't think because there was a. Both in my parents, a love of theatre and a love of literature and a love of the arts, I see uh, in, a, in a strong way.
0: I see. And what, what was the moment that you thought, "Oh, this is this is really what I'm. This is my bag." I mean, were you really a, a young yeah, boy? Yeah,
1: I mean, I've, I've thought about this a bit. Um, early on, I mean, this is this is like going back to the olden days. Uh, mm-hmm. My primary school, we had this thing called elocution lessons. Sure, When mm-hmm. you. Uh, and it was what would happen is you would be you would learn poems, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, every I guess it was every six months or something, a visiting examiner would come round from the Poetry Lovers Society, You're and kidding. I've got these little medals that say um, for beautiful utterance, <laughs> and oh, uh, really yeah, and, and was this public school? It ex- I mean, was this no, just? It was a little private okay. kind of uh, you know uh, um, preparatory school. Sure. they Called it. So my parents. Yeah. Were like wanted me to go to grammar school and that, which I did end up doing. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved saying poems uh, at one end of the room, whilst another person was at the other. And you know, the closest thing I've come across in actual theatre is like, uh, sometimes I've I've sat in on a uh, uh, opera kind of <laughs> audition sure, I'm, like, sure. I'm really kind of shocked how scary they oh are Oh my god it yeah. is for us too don't really? I mean yeah, don't yeah. kid yourself And then I, I did a bit a little bit of Broadway auditioning for music for a musical I worked on and that was like oh wow this is never how I would normally audition but I go oh that's like a little bit like my early training for the for the elocution lessons so I would kind of recite Walter de la
0: Mare poems and things and Yeah things. I was going to ask you yeah. if you had any favorites yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. and that,
1: that was where I guess and then there's another another kind of slightly that formative moment was there was a kind of school play when i was at, i went to manchester grammar school mm-hmm. which has a history of a uh, of um theater uh, and dramatic mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. Uh, sure sure and there's a few people who've come from mgs as it were so nick heitner who was ran the national theater in the uk was okay. from mgs uh, uh stephen pimler opera director who was also from Okay. Good I'm pedigree. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, I remember doing... There was a, an adaptation they did uh, for Christmas. It was like a review show. And uh, it was a uh, uh, Edward Lear poem called mm-hmm. The Dong with the Luminous Nose. Uh-huh. And for some reason, I got asked to be the dong with the luminous <laughs> nose. And there was a, a school teacher there who I shan't name, but he was playing a kind of... I can't even remember the story of it, but he was playing like a female character. So he was kind of in drag. Okay. And I think he... Was very sort of like you know uh, uh, looking forward to the idea of being the the, the phenomenon in the, and strangely I made myself a, a costume from a, a, to, a toilet roll tube and a light bulb and it was a balloon on the end and some old trousers that were too long for me yeah. yeah. and for some reason for whatever reason I'd made a hilarious costume and the audience would not stop laugh they just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And I remember looking across the stage at this school teacher oh, in, a, in a frock.
0: Yeah. Being totally upstage. Looking
1: really really pissed oh, off. Oh my god. And I thought, "Oh, I quite like yeah, this. Yeah, I can do this." <laughs> so, that's how, how old were you, do you think? I must have been in, I must have been like 10, 12, 13. uh-huh 12, 13. uh
0: uh-huh. Yeah. And that was it.
1: Well, that's one of the early things. So I was in school plays, basically. yeah, And, uh, and I, I enjoyed performing. And I, I always wanted to be an actor. Yes. So now, that was, that in, was
0: the big dream. In my research, I saw, yeah. I saw that you saw some success as an actor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you, and you, and yeah. did you, okay, here, I, I, like I imagine most actors want to direct. Is that kind of what happened
1: uh, not really no, I mean, I'm st- I please let's set the record straight. I haven't returned as an actor i'm <laughs> I you know, I still perform and I perform yes. in my own shows that we yes. make but I'm because I've been doing a lot of directing I'm kind of less likely yes. to be asked to be in shows in the same way
0: okay, so let's track your let's track your acting career uh so you you really have been performing since you were eleven yeah. twelve thirteen yep. and acting was. In particular, the the vocation that you chose, and your parents were cool with that. They were fine,
1: absolutely cool with it, and very
0: very supportive of it. Yeah.
1: In a, I would say in a surprising way.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I I know that you acted in at least one Hollywood film. I did. Uh. Yes. And mostly on stage. Yeah. Is that right? Mostly on stage. Live live theater. Yeah. Yeah. What do you What do you like more? Did you, do you, did you enjoy the film making? Oh, was I, it uh, Robin Hood? Enjoyed, Is
1: that what it, it was? R- I was in the, the other Robin Hood film that was racing to get finished before Kevin Cosnes.
0: Uh, Prince of Thieves. Yes. Yeah. I, was
1: the, I was the court jester in that. Okay. Uh, with Uma Thurman. Oh, made, Jesus. Made, yeah. so, How was that? Uh, okay. And uh, uh, I would say I, don't, I never have really had enough experience of film. So to that f- really wasn't what you were pursuing, a film I, career. If it had happened, I, would have, I really would have followed that. Um, and I and I I I sometimes have fantasies about like as I'm getting older, maybe I'll come into my own and my mm-hmm. movie career will take off. Mm-hmm. So anyone out there who is interested in me, well, you're in the right to town. Exactly. You shouldn't be leaving tomorrow. No you should yeah. you shouldn't make a little bit of out of it. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, I I sort of I always knew I would perform, but then I went to Middlesex Polytechnic. Mm-hmm. So my parents said, well, don't go to drama school. Um, get yourself a degree. Don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. That's what they were saying. Okay. Um, And uh, at that time, there were polytechnics, Mm -hmm. uh, which were kind of more like practical courses. Yeah. yeah. And so I decided I would do a performing arts degree, which I did at then Middlesex Polytechnic, now Middlesex University. Mm -hmm. The course that I did was a a BA in performing arts. So you majored in dance, drama, or music. And it was a great course, actually, because you could go in with one... Focus, mm-hmm. and at the end of it, you may end up doing music. Right, gone in as, or you you're could, exposed yeah, to all sorts of things. Yeah, you yeah. get a, a real, and it was a, a, a practical course, and a, and there were some very interesting people there on the course. And I, as I left, mm-hmm. I formed my own theatre company with another artist there, a woman who's a director called and an, and now an artist called Julia bardsley,
0: and what's the name of that company
1: It was called Derek Derrick Productions
0: Derek Derek.
1: no idea where we called it that it was a sort of perverse decision it didn't mean anything it was just a strange eccentric name that we picked and we made a, in my last year at college we adapted mm-hmm. um and there's something interesting about this connects to this story here mm-hmm. um adapted an Ian McEwen short story mm-hmm. um It was called Conversations with a Cupboard Man. And it was about a a, a kind of young man who was basically living kind of in a, what you'd call a closet, in a wardrobe, basically. Oh, literally. Literally. Not metaphorically. Not metaphorically. And it was a a monologue about a a strange, uh, eccentric... uh, Misanthrope. Yeah, character Uh who who had uh, obviously damaged character. And it was just a monologue. And it was me. The stage was uh, just a wardrobe in the middle of the... Of the stage, and I would come out of the wardrobe and t- and it was a, it, it was, was it was written as a stage play it, no, it was a short story, uh-huh. and we adapted it uh-huh. and uh, we created this piece in my it was like my last two weeks at college, um, and we used uh, Philip Glass music as a soundtrack um. Uh, from Glassworks, and at that time, people—not many people—knew about Philip. Glass's yeah, w- music. when was this? Uh, so we're talking about eighty-two, uh, right? Okay, maybe a little bit later, eighty-three, maybe. Akhenaten was eighty-four. Yeah, yes. yes, okay. So, okay. so um, Philip was kind of present there, and I'd, I'd looked at. Um, we had a, a kind of old-fashioned l- uh, archive mm-hmm. in, in our college where you could watch videos. I remember watching yeah. great big tapes of, of. Um,
0: Robert Wilson stuff, and yeah. so that's oh, that stuff was making this? the rounds in so it, academia, in it, the it colleges, was, the young people. Was
1: kind of making the rounds in my head, yeah, <laughs> okay. in Julia's head. Okay. So, and and then I remember, Agnaten came to the Eno yeah. originally. Yeah. That that's
0: time. where it premiered. That's where
1: ah. it, it, it Salzburg, and then the Eno. And so almost immediately. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was, I bought tickets for it, and I was walking around uh, Manchester, and I went, "Who's that guy? That's Philip Glass." And I saw Philip Glass in the street, and I, I followed him around. Yeah. And uh and I remember Did you thing, grab him? I mean did you No, I no. was too scared to say hello to him. I, he was like, Oh my God, it's, it was yeah. he was a hero. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember what wandering around after him, following him down the street and he went into a sushi restaurant. Which at that time in the mid eighties sure. was just about the most exotic thing you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking, wow, for <laughs> the eats sushi. Wow. <laughs> Um, so there's a little kind of circular story to yeah. being here, doing Act Norton and Act and Philip Glass. And
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you? I mean, have you, have you uh, created a relationship with Philip Glass? I mean, is this somebody that you've well, collaborated I mean, with? There or...
1: from first working uh, at the uh, Eno on the a production of Sashigraha, right? Well, about did. Gandhi, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then I worked on Perfect American, which is his opera about Walt Disney, mm-hmm. which had not when I first. Uh, Hadn't been written at Mm -hmm. the point when I first met him, so there was a collaboration on that piece.
0: And not Einstein, which is the third of the triptych, no, not not Einstein, not yet, yeah, that we know of. I mean, have you thought about putting together all three of them? One, two, three. uh, Do people uh, do that, like at Bayreuth, you know, with Wagner? uh, I think they should, yeah, right. I mean, I,
1: I won't say anything, but who knows? In if one were to do Einstein, I think some big deep work would have to happen before. some reimagining you mean yeah because it's an amazing extraordinary it's someone's dream you know yeah that piece it isn't like a even like agna or Sagra an opera about a person it's a it's a strange beautiful world yeah. that, that right. Robert and that Philip created together
0: right um yeah and yeah. I, I, and as you know written on a cocktail yeah napkin. the story yeah.
1: the story of of um, Einstein being reviewed as an opera is one of chance because it, it ended up in an, in the opera house kind of by accident mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it was reviewed as an, an opera. That, Philip didn't set out to write an opera.
0: Well I have the same feeling about Akhnaten. and I see it more as a theatre piece. I don't know mm-hmm. if I mean they're, they're, they're like vignettes that very much like Einstein but with more of a through line but obviously I, think, I mean there's, it's a narrative. Yeah, yeah I think
1: that's right but I think you know Both Satyagraha and Akhnaten, Philip was asked to write an opera, a story. And he Mm -hmm. was commissioned knowing there would be an orchestra Mm -hmm. playing that music. Mm -hmm. I don't think Einstein was created in the same way. It was much more like a devised piece, what we would call in the UK, devised piece of music theatre, right, you know, right, avant garde music theatre. That avant-garde.
0: now that leads me to improbable. Yeah. When so that started, you started your theatre company in 1994.
1: Is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's some there's just some interesting threads to it. So Derek Derek lasted a f- few years. Like and three. what else
0: did you put on with Derek Derek?
1: Uh, we Was did it? some adaptations. We did an adaptation of a big. Um, uh um, Ted Hughes narrative mm-hmm. poem, big mm-hmm. visual thing. We were we were really were like what we would call a fringe company. They don't really exist anymore. Fringe company. We were putting on our own shows. It would yeah. take us a year to put a show on. Yeah. Um, we did um, the Vinegar Works. I don't know if you know about Edward Gorey. I don't. He's an amazing, beautiful American uh, macabre uh, gothic cho- illustrator of kind of children's. They're strange. If you saw them, you'd you'd know them. They're a big influence on Tim Burton. From uh, what period? The well, turn of the century? It, around, he only died there? about, I think, about six or seven years ago. Oh, so contemporary. Yeah. I see. And they're very kind of. Gosh, stra- I can't believe. They're, they're, okay. they're hilarious. So there's a kind of strange alphabet of small children called the Gashly Tannies who've all died uh, terrible deaths in oh different God. ways, and okay. they're they're sort of like buttoned up Victorian, but sure. also very kind of strange and eccentric. Yeah. So we, we turned that into a kind of show for the Mime Festival. Um, and then uh, I did an adaptation of a Graham Swift story mm-hmm. called The Sweet Chopina. A lot of adaptations.
0: Yeah, no yeah. No stage plays that were well, written we, for stage we plays. Were that wasn't our your... own,
1: yeah, we were making our own work and adap- adapting yes. things seemed to be because I didn't have access to writers. Yeah. We weren't writers.
0: Yeah. Um, was it a sign of the times that that was something that uh, was supported by the population. I mean, you you mentioned just in passing that it's not so much that way anymore. What do you attribute that to? That type of highly experimental.
1: Well, I think. I mean, I really, it, it was not conscious in any way. I was just doing the next obvious thing, which is that that show I made at college. We managed to get to the Edinburgh Festival, then mm-hmm. it went to the Almeida Theatre, mm-hmm. and and then we would go, what we're going to do now, and we would just do. I was busy doing the next obvious thing. And it mm. looks like maybe it will make some interesting. We, we were just going, let's make a good show. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there were more, there were, I guess, sort of more venues open to, to kind of new and mm-hmm. more. But I wasn't thinking of, we weren't thinking of being experimental. I see. We were always thinking, let's make a good show. Right, right. Um, were they paying I, for themselves? How, uh... Uh, they were. Um, eventually, that we were managing to not lose any money sometimes with the help of my parents no that was again. my
0: question i yeah. mean you're out of college or yeah. you're in, just out, yeah. just yeah. still in college or just get yeah. out and and at that how do you pay time that?
1: at that time there was a thing called the enterprise allowance scheme in in the uk okay which basically you got a little bit more than if you were claiming unemployment
0: benefit if you were creating something yeah. and it
1: was supposed to be a program which helps you become a self-employed person Exactly what it did. It, it supported me to to exist and basically not be nagged to go and get a job. A in job, a, job, yeah, yeah. And I, I I was and I don't know if you know Jarvis <sighs> Cocker. Uh, uh, he, he's a, a, a kind of UK pop star. Okay, um, and he had a group called Pulp, mm-hmm and he tells the story of basically enterprise allowance scheme is how he became musician—that's how he survived at that time. So wow. it was a kind of strange little program. It doesn't that, sound you know, strange; it sounds yeah. marvelous. Yeah, it was great. I mean, is and that it, not
0: around anymore? No. no. Wow.
1: You, you're, now you—you you can't really, if you're a student coming out of a course, you have to get another job if you're going to become a or artist. have parents set up money yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or, or find out how, a way to pay off the debt that you've made from going
0: to an art. For an so art it's job. very much like the U.S. That it, way, it,
1: it's not quite the same, but mm-hmm. it's definitely catching up in that sense of. The the possibilities and the limitations of it are increasingly more and more difficult. So I feel very lucky that I'm from a generation where I decided that's what I was going to do. I knew it was always going, but I I wasn't wasn't actively hindered in in being told this is not a realistic thing to do. Why
0: is that? Why is the general public accepted that bill of sale from corporations and from uh, the government that that type of thing is not important anymore. Oh, it's something no. that I, I mean, I I talk to my friends about it all the time here.
1: I find it. I mean, it's a big. That's a big topic. Yeah. Uh, I think there is a general marginalization of the arts, and and a kind of sense of it being a soft, mm-hmm. not important mm-hmm. subject because it's find, not profitable. In but, quotes. But but and I also find that incredibly ironic because basically creativity. And the means to collaborate and the means are exactly what the world is in desperate need of at the moment. And also, if you look at any of the big, highly kind of successful things, they have been nurtured through not just an education about you've got to specialize in this one thing and get better and better, mm-hmm. but a sense of creativity, collaboration. Are what have what really we really do? That's right. That need. leads to innovation. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a nonsense that the arts aren't a kind of actually a hardcore realistic right. subject to both study but right. also th- that actually support you to exist in life right? and ultimately do something beneficial and helpful for the world.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree and before yeah. this interview started we were talking about the idea of philanthropy here in the United mm-hmm. States and how the arts organizations are really solely funded now mm-hmm. by private mm-hmm. citizens and you're saying that in in England, it's starting to go that way as well. And I guess the other side of the coin, I mean, one side of the coin is that you have a tremendous infusion of capital mm. to make things, but then you're also beholden to the people and the corporations mm. that they own, and it's not egalitarian anymore. I, I agree, and I also think there are
1: certain things that are kind of sexy for that kind of money-giving venture. Mm-hmm. So, as you say, capital, and the th- very often the things that, will be given money are the obvious things like let's build a building right but if you're at the bottom as it were of the artistic kind of i mean i'm i feel very privileged here i am doing a yeah show at a the big way yeah yeah mm-hmm. you know there are people incredibly talented artists who a, a patron of the arts would never even get access to i would say mm-hmm. to kind of give money to whereas if you get told, "Well, will you give some money to build this thing?" Of course, that's something that people is tangible. can get It's tangible, mm-hmm. and you go, oh, "This is what I gave my money for." That's but right. Of course, the arts is not just about the tangibles; it's about the intangibles, and that's why it's important. So, how do you sell that to people? How that, do you sell that, uh, the, the thing? Which didn't is, grow up going to museums yeah, and, re- and reading poetry? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we are more and more in need of it. I think. So, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's more than a kind of. You know, it, it's a, a kind of like global, artistically ecological issue. I think. Right. We need the arts. Right. We need these things that can ask questions and that can discuss the things that are more paradoxical, more mm-hmm. difficult to discuss. Or we end up in a black and white world. And as current, well, let's not go there, but current climate, if we get into black and whites, sure. we really are getting ourselves That's into right. trouble.
0: Well, I think uh, in this country, I I have a, I have a theory. I don't know if it's a theory. I think it's just an idea that kind of passes like, you know, your food through your digestive tract, Mm -hmm. but, um, that it, that the arts, the meaning that arts give to the individual competes with religion. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm an atheist. Mm -hmm. And so I don't derive any comfort or meaning Mm -hmm. from religion. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not the case in this country. I I think that, I think a lot, it's funny because the, especially the religious right, the conservative religious Mm -hmm. folks in this country are, I feel are kind of anti-art. And and I'm starting to think that that might be why. That Mm -hmm. art makes an attempt to create meaning for people, which is the kind of the charge of the church. Well, I mean, you know. And they used to be hand in hand. They used to go hand in hand, of course.
1: And, and, you know, I do think, arts have the ability to have a conversation about what one might call the more spiritual aspects mm-hmm. of life. And I think that's a... Uh, the esoteric as, part exactly, of Exactly, and the th- yeah. as, uh, things that are about, you know, not just the so-called tangibles, as yes. it were, the intangibles. And sometimes that butts up against organized religion and organized re- religion structures. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes great aspects of religion mm-hmm. are not necessarily served well with the religious organizational structures right. that's right um, and I, I also think that that for me that makes me think that arts have even more of a of a kind of important kind of role to that's play. what i wanted to yeah, hear which is uh, to be able to have those conversations yeah. between those different worlds that's you know right. so if you're talking about different religions how where do those religions actually at a deeper level meet right where does where's even, the common ground yeah, yeah where's the common ground between uh, someone who's an atheist and someone who is a, 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 a someone who has deeply held Christian beliefs, yeah. you know, and there will be a common ground at a deeper level. Yes. And I do think um, the arts have an ability to to have to hold a conversation across that. Obviously, there will be points where those yeah. conversations don't happen. But yeah, yeah. for me, that is.
0: Uh, Are you a religious person?
1: I would say that I would, uh, if I was to say, if I had to pick a religion, yeah. I would say I was a Taoist.
0: Yeah. hmm
1: which would be my interpretation, and uh, um, I'm, I hope I'm not offending any uh, Taoists out there. My interpretation <laughs> of that would be that my sense of the spiritual is about life and its flow. And it's there is a kind of a, a greater sense of organization in the chaos. Hmm. And sometimes that's talked about by science and things yeah. like quantum physics. And Elon Musk with yeah. the whole
0: new theory yeah. about... Uh... Oh boy!
1: Yeah, and the, those those kind of I'm very interested in those points where the theories about things like chaos and quantum science meet ancient Taoism, you know, yeah. and this sense of a, an implicate order behind things, which which quantum physics talks about, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, and I, I, when I have senses of touching something that one might call spiritual, mm-hmm. which I think. Uh, You know, there are certain uh, religions I go, ah, that's definitely talking about the same thing as I understand at that point. Right. But I don't, I'm not that interested in an organized religion. The mantra, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. And now, do you derive. uh, I guess my question is, in choosing your repertoire to direct or to act Mm. in, is uh, is that something that plays into it i mean you were talking about in very practical terms choosing repertoire early on that put butts in seats mostly and that became successful and within within a certain parameter yeah. of your taste obviously yeah. um but do you are you do you gravitate towards projects in particular because of something some feeling that you had about it or something that was brought to light for you personally
1: yeah i mean I-
0: I mean, how do you choose to direct one thing or act in one thing over the well, other? Well,
1: I mean, I don't know if this answers the question directly, but in the story that we were telling of how I ended up, when Derek Derek ended, mm-hmm. I then started directing shows in rep- repertory theatres. For other people. So places like Nottingham Playhouse, West Yorkshire Playhouse. Okay. And they were plays. So I did things like Servant of Two Masters. Okay. Anthony, I did Government Inspector. And I enjoyed going into those bigger buildings mm-hmm. and i was basically asked do you want to do uh the government inspector do you want to do to masters and very often it was because <laughs> someone else had dropped out and they were like i was down a list of you know sure and you go oh, well i'm being asked that's great i'm yeah. getting this opportunity to to, to work. work with designer you know, resources and, and then also in that process Exploring a practice of how you did text, how you did theatre, but kept it alive. Mm-hmm. Because I, after Derek, Derek, I went and did a workshop with a man called Keith Johnston, mm-hmm. who is the kind of UK improvisation guru. Okay, he wrote a great book called Impro, which is a life. I read and was is a kind of life changing book for many people about creativity and improvisation. It's one of the best books. Everyone should read Impro. Oh, okay, yeah. And Keith's still alive. Mm-hmm. He's in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it changed my attitude to how you make work. Because mm-hmm. we'd been working, we would take a year to make a show, and it's going to be this really good show. And it, right. we'd plan what it was going to be. You have to birth it yeah. almost. Yeah. And mm. we would kind of know what it was going to look like. We would know what, it, and then we would make it. Mm-hmm. And it would be just like we had envisioned. Yeah. Wow. And we go. Oh well, that's what we were going to do. <laughs> and that it, a it's not that that was bad. It was just like, ah, oh, there's no, uh, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I then went started doing improv where you mm-hmm. did improvised scenes. I love, and you, I love improvisation. You, uh, I then had a, a kind of life of working above pubs in tiny theatres where we would do different mm-hmm. shows every night. Mm-hmm. And one night would be like, oh, that's good. And that wow, what an amazing show. The next right. night would be oh, just shit. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you did a really terrible gig. Yeah you could guarantee that the next gig would be really, really brilliant because right. everyone would just give
0: up. They right. would stop trying. That's right, which is what you were talking about in rehearsal quite a bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: and I, I think, so I learned some what I would call meta skills about uh, how the work is made, feeling skills behind, crea- about creativity and what that practice is. Yeah. So having then gone into buildings and doing big shows, I wanted to return to making my own Work, mm-hmm. so devising again, yeah. And I, I actually wanted to tell a story about. I wanted to put myself in the show and do a, a kind of autobiographical show. Right, right. And I'd met like a, like a one-man show. It was a. It was actually a four-person show. It okay. was me and a musician and two puppeteers. And in, did you
0: have to get them on the improvisation train? I'd to do met this? them. I'd oh, met them through that world. Got it. You know, and mm-hmm.
1: I'd also started doing improvisation with puppetry. Okay. And material as a puppeteer. And, or just in collaboration as, with puppeteers in, in the journey of making theatre. Oh, this is puppetry, this is interesting. Huh. And it became a, a person using puppets. So puppets are in the story as well. Okay. Um, and generally, that's that. If there is a through thread, it's that I've been. I take something from over here and something from and see what happened when you brought them together. Yeah. So, impro and puppets. Yeah, yeah. Or, um, I don't know, juggling and opera. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do you bring yeah, these yeah. things together? And so we. Went to the Arts Council and said, we want to make this show. And they said, well, you've got to form a company and have a name and whatever. And we went, oh, okay. do we have to? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd just done a big improvised show at the Nottingham Playhouse called Improbable Tales. And this is kind of like, you know, end of the 80s, I think, or at least early 90s. And we had a big set with stuff that flew yeah. in and out, yeah. big different settings. Yeah. There was a cave and a palace and there were all these props backstage. The real show. It was a real big <laughs> show with a yeah. big proper set. Yeah. And we improvised a play every night for four weeks. How? Totally we, different. Totally different every night. we had different guests. That was one of the reasons that we managed to get them to say, go for it. Because we have, have some slightly more famous people. How do you come up with what you're doing that night, for we instance? We would use, well... We had we would create a title from some suggestions in the audience on the spot. On the spot, we get so I think we asked for like uh, can we have an adjective, uh, an yeah. object, and an occupation. Yeah. So you'd get.
0: I've done this with opera yeah. actually in some yeah. programs.
1: Greasy. Yeah. Uh, plumber and uh, spectacles. Then you go in a huddle and, and talk about it. Backstage, mm-hmm. backstage, we had uh, stagehands writing big signs, and we did a big credit sequence like a Monty Python. Oh, it would say, "Improbable Tales presents the." All came in in different right. ways. The greasy plumber and the spectacles, and that was the show for that night. Um, wow! So we had to come up with a name for our company, and we just done improbable tales. It's got impro in the title. Improbable, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And, uh, and that, that's the birth of improbable. It's funny because when we started talking about improvising, you really came to life. This seems okay. to be your really your thing. And, well, and I saw that in rehearsal, too. Yeah. And the, the biggest for me, the biggest risk, uh, if I were in your shoes, the biggest risk is getting with a group of people at an A house like mm. LA Opera and saying, okay, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And that we've had directors uh, who will remain nameless that mm. have attempted to do that, mm. and the whole thing just falls apart. You fall apart and you yeah, can yeah, see yeah. them parsing it as, yeah. as the process goes, just mm. Cut, mm. cut, 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 cut. Mm-hmm. And it's really... The opposite experience that I've had with you. Well, how do you do that?
1: It's kind of interesting. I mean, uh, that. So there's those two things: so working in the big rep theatres and then improvising above above pubs Mm -hmm. with newspaper Mm -hmm. and puppets and making shows up like that. Yeah. And sometimes the tension between how do you resolve those two things? How do you bring them together? Right. These two separate paradigms, really. Two separate worlds. And Mm -hmm. that basically over the years, I, I, I'm a bit of a maven for kind of like different books and mm-hmm. you know, so uh, Michael Chekhov is a mm-hmm. big influence on me and his books about stage acting and he's a Russian, wonderful Russian acting teacher, people sure. of Stanislavski's. Now his if you read his books he basically devised shows and he, he used improvisation even if he's doing a text he would use improvisation in ways that mm-hmm. but you're you're in opera you as you say there's a big machine there there's right. a big orchestra there's a massive right. chorus they're yes. <laughs> so all looking at you saying what's going to happen minute, by minute. minute yes. by minute it's yes. got a, you you're, the clock's ticking and you so you got to hold your nerve but you're in parameters so how mm-hmm. do you uh, communicate to i mean the, the glass is a very particular thing mm-hmm. but how do you communicate to an uh, all a chorus mm-hmm. that we want this to stay alive even though you're you've got to get from here to here and how mm-hmm. do you so those
0: I would say... Well, from my perspective, you empower us. That's what you do. Is you give us some tools, Mm. uh, which does create, like you said, a framework. Mm. You have a scaffolding to work from. You can't jump off of it. You have to stay on it. But within that, you can move around. And it makes us feel real smart. That's great. And so, uh, in that way, it was very successful. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I was thinking about this this morning because some people think improvisation means you've got to do everything differently every night right and i think that's sort of true but i would say that there are different levels at which that exploration can happen mm-hmm. externally it could be that you do totally different gestures every night mm-hmm. internally it could be that you explore totally different emotions every right. time you sing the emot- same bits mm-hmm. of, a, of of an aria mm-hmm. Or it could be that you do the same movement, but on a on a different level, you explore how it feels in the sensations mm-hmm. in your body mm-hmm. feels differently. And I got the image this morning of, you know, the kind of Mandelbrot thing where they look at the edge of a coastline mm-hmm. and then they home in and it's smaller and it looks right. like another coastline and then you go smaller and you go... I think right. that in this kind of context, that's the kind of improvisation you're talking about, mm-hmm. which is you go, I'm doing this same gesture every night. Of course, how's that different? And the answer is that you go more detailed. Right. You go deeper, you go more kind of like internal and you go, What I'm having different a different image is coming from this right. sensation tonight. So it stays alive moment to moment to moment. That's the kind of I mean that's kind of fast food version of the different kind of vocabulary. Right. That improvisation can bring to something that, you know, there's some big pieces of machinery out there that you've got to avoid. Right. And you've, as you say, you're not going to fall off them. Right. You're not going to get hit by them. Mm-hmm. So you can't just do a chaotic thing. Right. It has to have context. It has to have context mm-hmm. and it has to, as you say, scaffolding. Mm-hmm. But within that context, there is a, an amazing amount of depth yes. to explore.
0: Well, I use your cheat cards. I mean, it's the first time we've had a director come in with the with the different uh, emotions written. Yes. And so for the final scene of Akhenaten, where he's f- passing away, I hope I don't spoil it, but he dies at the end. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, you know, and so I, I've been playing with that. One, one. I'll shift from one moment to the next. I'll be snobbish, yeah. and I'll be pious, I'll be angry, yeah. I'll be yeah. frightened. Yeah. Uh, and it really is keeps it alive. It really yeah. does, yeah. And it also, really does. what I
1: think about those cards is interesting: is that you think there'll be something that you can't make sense of or justify. You do, very and then quickly. Go, "Oh wow, that that can make sense in that moment." You
0: just have to be a different character. Yeah, it's and, called and acting. Yes, it's called acting.
1: <laughs> and it also, it keeps it interesting for you yeah. each night. And it's it is a different night. And even though you're doing the same movement, yeah, yeah, you aren't doing the same movement, right? You're right. doing it. The movement this moment, tonight.
0: Right. Now let's talk about Akhenaten. When, uh, how did you come to accept the job of doing it the first time? How did that come about? Uh, Akhenaten? Yeah. Well At ENO. Uh,
1: is this, it, I don't know if there's time to do this, but the first part of the story was I was asked if I wanted to do Einstein on the Beach. And I went,
0: ooh, that's a strange idea. In London?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: By, by the ENO. Uh-huh. Um, you, uh huh. Were you in uh, in house at Eno? No, or you, you weren't.
1: I'd never done an opera before in my life at that point. Okay. And uh, a guy called Sean Doran, who was working at the Eno, running the Eno at that time, mm-hmm. uh, said, "Do you want to do it?" And I said, wow, "That's a crazy idea." And what said, a well, way do you want to meet Philip Glass? I said, "Oh yeah, I'll be in New York because I'll be performing our show. We were performing our show, Spirit, at the New York Theatre Workshop from your company. From my, our company, improbable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that. Philip Glass lives over the road from the New York Theatre Workshop. It's kind of just nearby there. Okay. So I said, well, I'll meet Philip Glass. Yeah. And uh, and I went for a coffee with him. And he said, what do you want to do on stand on the beach for? I said, well, I don't. I was he asked. asked. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't. He said, oh. And we had a conversation. At the end of this conversation, he said, your genuine reluctance to do this piece makes me think you should do it. <laughs> And I said, well... Words to live by, right? Okay, well, maybe. uh, Or maybe there's something else. And we started talking about Satyagraha Mm -hmm. and about what it was about and about Gandhi. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a lot of open space events, our big conferences, D&D, which on some level is a big group collaborative force for change. And I was like, this is kind of related to what I'm doing elsewhere with Mm -hmm. our company in our, I would say, our kind of the the strand of activism, as it were, right. Uh, so ended up doing Satyagraha, and uh, never done an opera before in my life.
0: Did, I mean, did Philip hold, hold your hand through the whole thing, or no, how did you? He, was, you just... he, he said,
1: "I'm not interested in seeing, telling you what you should be doing with it. I'm wow. interested in you doing what you do with it, because if it's going to end up in the canon yeah. as an opera, mm-hmm. it needs to be able to be reinterpreted again, and reimagined, again and yeah. Ah, oh, okay. So he. He's wonderful, Philip. He's not interested in saying we did it like this, then and that. Mm. So he came and saw it for the first time so he, when we When he it. lets
0: something go, he really yeah. lets it go.
1: Yeah. Wow. And that's Philip. You know, he's extraordinary. Um, so then, and then I worked on um, Perfect American, mm-hmm. which is about Walt Disney and right. the, the story of the you know the positive sides of Walt and the not sometimes not so sure. positive sides of Walt. That was at Eno as and well. And that was
0: at Eno and, and Madrid. Oh, uh, no, yeah. Teatro Real. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, with nice.
1: Gerard Mortier, who sadly is gone.
0: I love Madrid. Did yeah. you love Madrid? That was extraordinary working it's a great there. It's yeah, beautiful. great
1: Yeah, And then uh, uh, there was like, Act Norton came up in the conversation. I was mm. like, oh, f- am I going to become the person who just... You're the, you're the favorite, Philip Glass I'm the guy. And the Philip Glass guy. Yeah. I was like, do I? And then, of course, um, Tom, who I'd just worked with on Cozy, mm-hmm. said, oh, God, Act Norton's and I was like, okay, I'll go listen and think. And then I went. No, no, no! I really have to do this. And I had seen it, of course. I told you a story about seeing Philip in the street. I'd gone right. to see it at the Eno uh-huh. all those years ago. Uh huh. And that was a famous production because the set was nothing but sand. It was sand, 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 sand everywhere. So the building of a city was built in the sand. When it was destroyed, wow. and there were famously there were wrestlers down the front of the stage naked wrestling in slow motion yeah. the whole thing and it went through that you know so, okay uh i was like oh revisit the thing so a little bit of a beautiful circular story for me yeah. of now directing it having first seen it all those years ago in that amazing david freeman production um so uh we you know that thing where you go it's far enough away for me to not feel intimidated right.
0: by right. what that and you didn't sit down with Philip Glass and say, "I want to have jugglers." And this,
1: this no, of... I mean, I, th- I think I probably told you this in rehearsal. But my idea for the jugglers, we done different vocabularies in the different ones. So the first Satyagraha was kind of newspaper puppetry. And okay. People may have seen pictures of the big, you know, big. Yeah, that they make puppets. on stage. Yeah, yeah right yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And some of that is made on stage. Some of them were big, kind
0: of politicians. I have to people, admit, right? I I did not know that was your production yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i mean that's a famous production yeah people talk about it here yeah. so and then
1: in the with philip's music you have to find a vocabulary that that fills this other time zone uh-huh perfect american it was animation and the movements of the animators so he did choreographic movement of of um animation and with the cells characters. you mean as you if you see the yeah. old footage of them doing it they're flipping the the cells yeah, back and forth. Sure. Got, that looks good to Philip Glass music. Uh, and I was thinking, what's it going to be in Act Norton? You know, does there have to be something? And then I had this moment where I thought, maybe it's juggling.
0: Yeah, who came up with the hi- who found the hieroglyphic?
1: Well, I was like, maybe it's juggling. That's a really oh god, that's a really stupid idea. Oh,
0: so that was the genesis. It wasn't yeah. the it wasn't coming across.
1: Well, this is what happened. I had the idea and thought that's really stupid. And I knew about Sean's work. But Have I you worked with him before? No. no. And I went and looked at stuff and went, oh, no, that looks fantastic with Philip Glass music. Yeah, And then I rang him up and I said, look, I'm doing this opera, it's Philip Glass music. He said, oh, we've sometimes used Philip's music. Yeah, for... he said that, yeah. And, and he said, and you do know the first ever picture of juggling is a hieroglyphic. And I said, no. Well, that's... And uh, he pointed me towards that beautiful picture of the women doing yeah, that's fate. J- juggling. yeah. And I was like... Okay. It may be a stupid idea, but I can't ignore it now. Sold. I've got to do it. Uh, because if you then if you don't do it, you go, that's a, like an idea that I've really – It won't it's go away. on my it will not go shoulder. Away. And I, if I turn my back on it, there's something – there's the Tao for you. That's right. So that's what I would I think say the same way. Taoism is. is You go, if, I'm, if I don't follow this, it involves some courage, but I'm really going to step out of the flow yep. because it wasn't decided by me. Yep. I, I had a stupid idea in the bath. Uh, and the stupid idea said, "No, huh? I'm not stupid idea. Yeah. Actually, yeah." Um, so, uh, always a bit of in this production, a bit of like, is this a bad idea or not? Oh, and I, I, you've got, and it's very beautiful, it's and it's amazing, yeah, it's and Sean's beautiful. done an
0: extraordinary work on it. And, yeah, uh, it's very challenging for the chorus. I've got to say. Yeah, well, you it's had still, to learn I mean, to juggle. <laughs> I've never felt so stiff on stage, yeah. wondering if I'm going to drop this damn ball.
1: Well, cool. <laughs> and it, it's very. What well, I love about it is. There is the amazing work that the jug the jugglers, right. official jugglers are doing, but that combined with the 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 number of you new yeah. you chorus guys
0: yeah doing simple juggling yes. is
1: extraordinary be and there's something moving about it. I, I
0: agree. I, think, you know, I agree. And the the, the cha- for me the cha- I mean, I love romantic Italian repertoire, don't get me wrong, yeah. Puccini and Verdi and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I can do that. French repertoire, mm-hmm. I love it. But it's not very often that we get to step out of that. And mm-hmm. when we do, I feel like we as a group really, really chomp into it. Yeah. It's been yeah. really, really exciting. Yeah. Um, what what does the... I mean, I have an idea of what the juggling means, the actual movement of the balls mm-hmm. mean in context mm-hmm. uh, and in relation to the story. Uh, is that something that you decided on with Sean? How did you come about... Because I see, I see it as representative of the society, mm-hmm. and of the, the the struggle and the difference between the pantheistic idea mm-hmm. and the monotheistic idea. Mm-hmm. And at the end, uh, the obvious mm-hmm. uh, death of Akhenaten. Did you come first of all? Am I is that close to what you thought? And is it something that you collaborated with, or decided on your own, or did Sean bring it to the? I mean, I think
1: work that I enjoy watching. So if you think of like that great documentaries or something if you think about is it um that that thing where people manage to create beautiful rhymes Mm
0: -hmm. in their work
1: and Mm -hmm. i would say the thing about the juggling is it rhymes with the music yes it's a visual has a visual correlation with the the, the structures and the cyclical yes. nature of the music.: You can see the yeah. composition yeah. in you front can, of you. So basically You, you, see you are seeing a kind of like a representation yeah. of the actual composition.: a, on some levels, a scientific representation. Yes. Of it because it involves gravity. Uh-huh. Now what I've, in my short uh, 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 period of working on Philips operas, mm-hmm. you have to find a language that works on stage. It's it's impossible to not explore the slow so people go, Oh, they've decided to do it slow. You can't not do Philip Glass's work slow. If you do it fast, you're gonna you're in for a long night, weirdly. Right. right. If okay. you do it slow, it speeds up. Okay. If you start to oh, do normal naturalistic sure. movement to Philip Glass's music, it doesn't work. It sure. doesn't make sense. And I've seen some productions of Philip Glass where people try and do fast movement to Philip Gl- and it looks slightly wrong <laughs> yeah but there are some things that you can do fast and those things that you can do fast are of nature so as we know with Philip's music those are people who know it they'll sometimes know it from Koyani Skatsi and sure. those beautiful films yeah where you're seeing natural rhythm and natural patterns, mm-hmm. so with waterfalls,
0: mm-hmm. uh, flowers uh, opening, flowers, and, uh, uh, mm-hmm.
1: uh, patterns of traffic, right, speeded up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it makes total sense with Philip's music because it's got something of na- nature stroke yes. chaos patterns. Yes, and it's, in it's it. relentless. Yes, and it's got cyclical, you know, mm-hmm. cyclical Momentum. waves. Mm-hmm. It's got wave patterns, scientific wave patterns in mm-hmm. there. So whatever vocabulary you try to do that goes into the faster end has to have that kind of language to it. So it it has to be a choreography that takes notice of that. And of course, juggling and the beautiful patterns Mm -hmm. that Sean creates with those balls and gravity Mm -hmm. totally relate to the music so that they become one. Now, when they become one, if they do become one, if we're lucky that that happens, the audience are taken into a place where they can dream. It's transcendental. It's the level of reality. So there's a story there about Acknarton on the consensus reality level he did this he was he lived from then to then yeah he created this monotheist now there's some deeper stories about what that was all about mm-hmm. yeah on the dreaming level if you create a thing on stage which allows the people and the music to take people into that dreaming level you don't just find out the historical facts about Agnaten. you find out about a man who thought the sun was the god and you if you're lucky get a feeling of what that might like might be like yeah to experience what it would be like in that that time you're tri- you time transported i think yeah to another place by that and that's i think one of the things that philip's operas can do you don't go to see a philip glass opera to find out the historical story of Aknaten. you go to wikipedia for that that's right
0: what you, you go to be not. Yeah. You mm-hmm. go,
1: yes. What you go to the opera is to find out about some of the emotions, right. some of the deeper, more kind of tectonic plate mm-hmm. versions of what that historical thing was. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the juggling, I think we've created an image where that kind of sense of the story, of the the the, the kind of epic mythical nature of that story which still has you know there are some theories that the garden of eden mm-hmm. was an an idea that came from Aten, Aten, eden you know was you know um uh um akhenaten and nefertiti were they the adam and eve of you know of yeah. you know pre-moses yeah. of antiquity mm-hmm. that you know so this story of a you know who knows, the first monotheistic religion. And uh, you, some feeling of time and you know, we, we get into parallel universes and if we're lucky of course, you know, mm-hmm. if we all play it well and sing it well and <laughs> the balls don't always drop and so on and so on and so on. So when you say, does it mean this? I go, well, yeah. And if someone after the show says, what did the juggling mean? Does it mean this? And they tell me what they think it means yeah. and I go, yes. Yeah. And of course, it's an open image Mm -hmm. and that's its purpose because for you, that's what it means. Not, if you're lucky, it's a meaning you're getting in your body and at a deeper level than an intellectual idea of, does it mean this? So I think all good theatre does that. And my short period of doing opera, which is just seven or eight years, I have discovered uh, that I... Didn't know I thought this, but I, I now think it. There are some things that only opera can do. Right. There are some uh, things that opera can have a conversation about that certainly theatre, you know, great theatre touches it. Sure. But opera does it in a way that I have, you know, yet to kind of like. I feel very lucky at a late stage in life. I feel like I've discovered something. Knew that I didn't know I have an affinity to, and I think I do have an affinity sure. to.
0: Well, it really shows. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah.
1: I want to say one other thing. Please do. About opera. Yeah. I. This is another thing. I thought opera was this kind of fusty, stodgy, stodgy mm. old thing, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it is. You know. Sometimes it certainly can be. Can be. Yeah. Um. But I'm also aware that opera will, as the world as the world of entertainment, art, theater, gets more and more technologized, Mm -hmm. and I'm part of that, Mm -hmm. you know, I use projection too. Sure. uh, Amplified, Mm -hmm. you know, digitized, Twitterized. Mm -hmm. Um, It is more and more important that at the heart of what we make is something that is not locked off, rock, solid, reliable. It's something that's vulnerable. Right, and alive. Alive, alive mm-hmm. vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I can go to a big rock concert and it's alive. Right. If I sit in that auditorium with 3,000 people and Anthony, in his extraordinary countertenor voice, sings that hymn, and you, you are just hearing a single human voice and you find yourself going, is that really coming from, mm-hmm. is, that, that, is that amplified? Is he going to be able to sing that note for that? And there is an exquisite vulnerability uh-huh. to that. In this beautiful big space with all those people holding it—the orchestra, the chorus—that everyone's present—and it is as big as that, and it is as fine as that. And you don't—you really don't often get that anyway, because it could all go horribly wrong. That's right. And so it should be. That's right. You know, the juggling could all go horribly <laughs> wrong. And unless we create work with vulnerability that holds those two, massive ambition and vision yeah. and reach for the skies. But you have to also know if you're going to do that, you can't make it absolutely rockproof. So, yeah, you can't make a recording that will make sure it, This is the purpose to create these things that have that together. That happened that one time, and you have to be there to see it. And you have to be there to see and to hear. That's right. And to feel it in your body. Right. You hear that voice, and you go, wow, that's affecting my body.
0: Yeah. Well, Phelan, I've got to say it was a real pleasure having you on the show. I'm so glad we finally got this together, and I wish you a, a safe journey home, and I hope we get to work with you again. Thank you. Thanks. Pleasure. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Phelan McDermott. Really nice guy. Very talented director. So easy to get along with. He, uh, he had all sorts of techniques that I really admired about getting us into the uh, emotional zone of the piece and um, gave us some, some really easy and effective tools to help us express ourselves in a nonverbal way with the audience, which uh, I think a lot of us have really appreciated. I also want to thank uh, Gregory Geiger for helping me with my theme song, Thanks, buddy. Why don't you go to LAClassical.com and check him out. I want to thank Michael Nielsen at Michael Nielsen Music and Ninja Tracks uh, for letting me use his Shure SM7B microphone. Thanks, Michael. Hope to see you soon. And I want to thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I love doing this show. I'm sorry the uh, intro was a little uh, down, but you know what? That's how I feel. I can't help it. I could put on a super awesome face for you today, but I just don't feel like it because that's what's happening. Next week, uh, hopefully, I will uh, be feeling a little bit better. I hope you feel a little bit better. I hope you have a great week, and I will see you next Monday. Thanks again. Until then.